Great, it's great to see everyone today and it's fantastic to have this opportunity to speak. Um, I'm kind of on a, a one-man mission to preach through the book of John and so uh, we, we've, uh, we've gone up to chapter 6 and so I'm going to finish off today chapter 6 and I'll probably be doing this for the rest of the year, maybe the rest of my life, who knows, we'll see. <laughs> um, but we're going to go through. So I'm going to ask you a question, what's the best meal you've ever had? The best meal you've ever had? <coughs> Difficult, huh? You had so many, so many meals. Well, there must be one man meal that you think, wow, yep. Jollof. Jollof. Not the best food, the best food. Christmas dinner. Christmas dinner, amen. Our anniversary dinner when I told Nurse that I'm pregnant. Woo! Oh, wow. On your anniversary as well. Fantastic. Yeah. That was a big dinner, right? Yeah. Did you eat much after that? No. no. <laughs> and, uh, this, is, um, this is our wedding. This is Marianne and Mike's wedding dinner. And um, it was a great, a great meal. There's David down the end there, next to my mum, and me and Marianne. Marianne's mum, my dad, to my sister. This is our friend, uh, Virginia, um, who lives in South Africa. She took some amazing photographs. She sent us Facebook photographs and she had these pictures. She always sending great wildlife pictures. But this was our, our wedding meal. And I was thinking, I, I can't remember what we ate. I have no memory, really, of what we ate that day. But it was an amazing meal, but I have no memory of what we ate. Um, but before that, Marion and I used to live in London. And um, we, we had this thing where we go on lastminute.com and find like Uber restaurants that you can go and eat at. In London there's so many great restaurants, but you can never afford to eat in any of them. Except that they do these super deals. You can go on, like, like, there's loads of websites, you can get like the half price, third price. And so we went to about two or three really amazing restaurants. Remember we went to this one restaurant which was um, somewhere near Baker Street. Um, I can't remember exactly where it was and the seats were so comfy, and we had this beautiful tablecloth. And in between the courses, we had our own personal waiter who would come up and like, got his like, tablecloth Scrape clean scraper and cleaned the tablecloth in between. Not that we made much of a mess, amen? <laughs> but, um, and, and I just remember that meal for some reason. That was just such a fantastic uh, experience. I can't remember what we there. This is from um, when we went away to, to Singapore. We went on a, on a cruise with the kids. And I had another picture of, of Europe. And we, had a, we went on this boat, and it was just such an amazing boat. And I love Vietnamese food. But this is made out of a pumpkin. They did this meal, and they brought out all these sculpted things out of pumpkins. Wow. And just the, the detail they went to, just amazing, really amazing. Although, but I think our kids' tolerance of, um, of the Vietnamese food just slowly went downhill to the point where their highlight of the trip was Rosie and Alfie eating at McDonald's in Singapore, which... Amen. One day they'll understand. So, um, the title of today's sermon is, You Are What You Eat. And it's an interesting proverb. An interesting proverb. You are what you eat. It kind of means, um, I was looking at the meaning of this, and trying to work out where it came from. It's kind of a French origin, sort of 17th, 18th century. And it's this idea, I suppose, that, um, that what you put into you is what gives you energy, but not just physically, um, but mentally as well. This, this, it, that what you need to be fit and healthy is to eat good food, all right? So that's the question, you are what you eat. And so we're going to be looking at that. And we're also going to be looking a bit today about bread, because uh, John 6, part 2, talks a lot about bread. Um, it was great on Friday, we had our family group um, meeting, 
and um, this, this chap came in, I was hoping he was going to come to the head, but um, he came in and he was trying to do some charity work and he came into the house and he ended up sitting down and having family group meal with us and he said at the end of it, I'm just really blown away because it really felt like a family and it does, you know, when you come in and everyone's sat around and we're all laughing and eating together and everyone's mucking in and it really feels like a family. But we, um, we have this thing about nice bread, don't we? We've got this thing about nice bread. And so it took a while to train people what nice, what we thought nice bread was, right? This is kind of like artisan bread, I suppose you would call it, right? Or homemade looking bread, or nice, nice bread like that. And so when we said to everyone, bring some nice bread to begin with, it was just white sliced loaves that came from the supermarket. So it took a while to train the family group into thinking, that what we, well, maybe we're wrong, but what we think of as being nice bread. Um, it's amazing, isn't it, um, that, that when you think about what we put into ourselves these days, food-wise, we were watching a film, uh, we've got Mortal Engines, I don't know if you've seen that, we should lend you that DVD actually, um, we've got the, uh, this kid's book that we've been reading, and in the kid's book, set way into the future, 100,000 years into the future, and uh, at one point, uh, there's no food, and this girl gets out this sort of packet of, um, and it's kind of like a, a bread finger or something like that in plastic. It's a Twinkie. Was it a Twinkie or something American like that? American Twinkie. American Twinkie. And that she said, the foods of the ancients lasts forever. <laughs> and you ate this Twinkie out of this little plastic wrapper and you thought, goodness me. It's true, isn't it? There are some things that you have in your cupboard and you get them out and it just looks exactly the same as it did when you put it in there like years before. It's a bit frightening. Um, bread. Um, this is bread. Bread is uh, the, the, the most commonly eaten food in the world. It is. Um, the first evidence of bread is prehistoric, actually. They've found evidence um, in prehistoric slabs of kind of like bits of, uh, of, of gluten and stuff that they used to make cakes from grain and, and water and then they eventually got around to baking them. And so flatbreads, evidence of flatbreads 30, 40,000 years ago. Um, but what really got bread moving was the invention of refining wheat. So in Mesopotamia in about 800 they had the, the grindstones, maybe other places at the same time, but they started to refine flour. So an evidence of a great society was how, how good the, the flour was, how smooth and lovely it was. And obviously today we've got to the point where we bleach it to death to get the, the whitest white flour. And we're kind of going back now thinking actually that's probably not such a good idea. But a second big leap forward was the discovery of yeast. Yeast floats around in the atmosphere. There is yeast floating around in the atmosphere. And they think that the first time somebody discovered it was when it actually landed in their little gruel of like pounded grains and water and started to bubble and ferment. And then they baked it anyway and that was how they discovered, in a sense, um, the idea of bread. Anyway, the evidence that, that yeast production around about 300 BC that the Egyptians were commercially producing yeast for bread, for bread to rise. And so bread... It's one of the most common foods in the world, okay? And we're going to be talking about that today. Um, in John chapter 6, it starts out with the feeding the 5,000, which we talked about before, where Jesus breaks the five loaves, and he's got the fish, and he feeds everybody with them in abundance. There's loads of food left over. And then, um, then Jesus goes off into the mountains, the disciples are trying to row across the lake. We talked about that when uh, and Jesus walked across the water and they were afraid of a ghost. He gets in the boat with them and then they zoom off to Capernaum and they arrive in Capernaum. And so we're picking it up, do you want the next slide? We're picking it up in John chapter 6 and we're going to start in verse 25. The scriptures are here, but if you've got your Bible with you, uh, please do follow along, it'd be great. And so my first point uh, today is bread from heaven. Bread from heaven. 
It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, where did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. From now on, his father, from now on for him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. You might need to flick the slides because I'm reading it off of it. Then they asked him, what must, we be, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you then give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. But it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Amen. It's such a funny scripture. They didn't see Jesus leave, you see. They didn't see when Jesus left because Jesus went off into the mountains when the disciples sailed across the lake to Capernaum. So when they got to Capernaum and they, they saw that Jesus was there, like, oh, is this a miracle? Did you just zap and transport yourself across here? But Jesus doesn't answer that question. Jesus doesn't answer that. He, he kind of says to me, you're, you, you're here because you want more bread. You're not here because of the signs. And there's a lot about signs in this passage. A lot about signs. So Jesus says to them, um, you're not here because of the, the, the signs. Do not work for food, food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. What is food that spoils? Next slide, please. Sell-by dates. Now, how many people in here are bothered by sell-by dates? <laughs> right? It's one of those things that divides society. A bit like Brexit, okay? Is that there are some of us who, as soon as that sell-by date comes, that's it, not touching that food, it's out of date, no way. And there are some people who uh, are not bothered by that sort of thing. It's funny, I was in reception at school this week, and one of the uh, Holly's dad came in and, uh, to sign some paperwork. And while we were there, dad was saying, oh, do you have first aid kits around the school? What do you do with your out-of-date stuff? And he, was gonna, and he wanted to take it. He wanted to trade for training purposes, amen? But he wanted to use it. But I mean, like, just because there's a date on it doesn't mean to say it's off, does it? doesn't mean to say it's gone, completely gone, or does it? Or does it? Uh, we're all alive, amen? We're all here. Um, um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Like, we, we, I think sometimes we think, or some of us think, as long as it's in the fridge, or like it'll last for ages. But back in the day, right, we didn't have fridges. Back in the day, we were a lot less precious about um, keeping food fresh or at least they kind of like they keep it for a few days and you know and, and there we go amen bit of bacteria it's good for all of us right i won't tell you about our <laughs> fermented milk factory so we're thinking about um what how long certain foods last some things can last a day right but when they were in the when the israelites were in the the desert manna fell down from heaven so they said or came out of the sky and we'll come to that later but it only lasted for a day and they said, if you tried to keep it, sometimes they tried to keep it in jars, and the next day it would be full of maggots and stuff. So they only lasted one day. And I tried to think of a food that lasts one day. I couldn't think of one. So sometimes maybe a croissant, right? Sometimes if you buy a croissant, it's so nice when it's fresh, but super quickly they go all like hard, and they're not so nice the next day, right? Yeah. I can't, if you can think of anything else that lasts a day. Some food lasts a bit longer. Next slide. 
Um, milk. Okay. Milk generally lasts maybe about a week or something like that. You know, like sometimes you might. Some people can are more sensitive to the taste of slightly off milk than others. Um, but it can last a while if you keep it in the fridge. It can last a while. Okay. And thought about food that lasts a bit longer. So next slide. So things that last maybe a year. Certainly in our cupboards, there are Christmas puddings, and there was one in our cupboard that had been there for I don't know how many years, and somebody ate it very recently. I don't know who that was. Oh, there we are. And it was okay, it wasn't David. You're still here to tell the tale. So, so that can last a while, right? We can chuck a load of stuff in it, and it can last a while. Yeah, it improved with age. Next slide, please. Some food can last thousands of years. But did you know, and this is really interesting, in Egyptian times, they used to bury people with honey, and they found honey in, in like thousands of years old that's still just as edible today as it was then, just crystallised, but you heat it up, and it's just the same, you can still, so honey can last for thousands of years. In fact, if you go online, you can find all that kind of like um, apocalyptic sort of surviving foods, and you can find a list of all the types of food that will last thousands of years. But Jesus' point here is there's only one thing that can last forever. There's only one thing that can last forever. Some things we hope will last a lifetime, right? Our marriage, our friendships. Um, and some people uh, get to a point in their life where they're trying to create an eternity for themselves, right? Setting, having a statue for yourself or like now with the internet, we know we've, we've stuck stuff on the internet that's going to be there a lot longer than we are. So we're at, it's out there, right? Our little footsteps in time. However, there's only one thing that can last forever, and that is the thing that comes through Jesus, when Jesus talks about this life, this eternal life that comes from Jesus. Life is a funny thing, right? It can drive us to work harder and harder. Life doesn't care if we burn out. Life doesn't care if we wear out. Not at all. Um, I actually had this conviction this week. I've, I've kind of thought about it before, but I actually thought that you know it should be illegal to get work emails outside of uh, work hours. In fact, it is in some European countries. Now, it probably won't be in the UK in a few years, in a year's time or so, but apparently it's illegal in some countries to get work emails because otherwise you just end up responding to work all the time, don't you? And people with the best of intentions, work becomes the driving force. I wanted to read you this little proverb. It says, a rich industrialist was horrified to find a fisherman lying comfortably beside his boat, soaking in the warm afternoon sun. I fantasise about that. Um, why aren't you out fishing? asked the industrialist. I've caught enough fish for the day, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you catch some more? questioned the rich man. Well, what could I do with them? asked the fisherman. Well, you could earn more money, said the guy. You could then maybe uh, buy a motor for your boat, go into deeper waters, catch more fish. Then you could buy nylon nets. Maybe catch more fish and make more money. And then you could buy another boat and make more money. And then you could get a fleet of boats to make even more money. Then you'd be rich like me. What would I do then? The fisherman said. Well, then you could really enjoy life, the industrialist said. And the fisherman says, well, what do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> you know, it's amazing how we can be busy, 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 isn't it? Um, Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. How many of us take time in our day just to be still. How many of us take time just to look out the window and praise God for the world that we see? I always amazes me you can look at one leaf on a tree and it's more amazing than any of the engineering in any of those cars that are driving on that road outside. How often do we just celebrate God in the simple things in life? 
You know, verse 26. Um, do you see there's a deeper truth in God, in Christ, in the church? Or do you see what you can get out of it? These guys are saying, these guys are coming along, right? And they want to be fed. And that's what they see. And they're, they're this illusion. And Jesus is doing these signs for a reason. The signs that Jesus did pointed to his eternal nature. They pointed to his divinity. That was the real truth that Jesus was trying to bring people to. And yet all they wanted was to be fed again. Oh yeah, give us some of that bread every day. That's all they wanted. Sometimes we can come to church and we're looking for, maybe it's friendship, or the coffee, or just something to do, or we're looking for all kinds of other things. And yet we miss the point that everything here points to God. That's the number one point of being at church today. You know, the work of God is to believe in Jesus. When is that hard? When is it hard? Jesus says, you just have faith, just believe. That's the work of God. You know, when we're hungry, we eat, right? Unless we're on a diet, um, we eat when we're hungry. But when you're spiritually hungry, what do you do? When you're spiritually hungry, do you, you know, do you hide away? Do you isolate yourself? Or do you just do you get into the word? Do you read the Bible? Do you feed yourself? Do you share? your spiritual hunger with other people who can help feed you. You know, there's something about daily quiet times. And I think like the, the metaphor of the manna coming down from heaven, only being there for one day and they had to eat it, it's a sign, right? We need every single day to make a connection with God. That's what a relationship with God is. It's a relationship. You know, if I only spoke to Marianne on Sunday mornings and sang her a couple of songs, maybe, you know, we prayed together and had a conversation, that was our relationship, it would be a terrible relationship. You know, and a relationship with God is an everyday thing. We need to read our Bibles every day. You need to have your own relationship with God. That's what God really wants. You know, we want life, but life only comes from God. Next slide, please. Oh, eating the word, there we are. Next slide, please. <laughs> So the second point is the bread of life. Amen. We'll pick up the scriptures again in verse 35, 36. It says, Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you don't believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, will, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of these that is given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus? Is this not the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up at the last day. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he's seen the Father. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me, the one who believes, has eternal life. I am the bread of life. 
Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. Such a great passage. Jesus is repeating some things in this passage. And when Jesus repeats something, you think, amen, we probably need to listen to this thing. He says several times, he said, whoever comes to me, you're never going to be hungry. No one can come to me unless the Father draws them. But everyone who comes to me, everyone who's heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. And he talks about there that raising them up on the last day. I love that. It's a bit more of a conviction um, of mine. Next slide, please. Um, you know, have you ever missed the bus or missed the train? Has anyone ever had that experience? Yeah? Yeah, you have done, yeah? yeah. I remember when we, used to, when we used to live in London. I, I don't know down here so much, but we used to live in London. And man, if you got to that bus stop and the bus was just shut the door, even if it was still there, they wouldn't open the door again. You'd be like, oh, let me in. And they'd just drive off and leave you. That was the way it was with London buses. Amen. Um, so that feeling of being seriously left behind. But in the scripture, it says that no one, you know, who believes, who stays faithful is going to be left behind. That it's God's will is that everybody makes it and they'll be raised up on that last day. And I was talking about this before, it's more and more a conviction of mine that, that it's great to see people get baptised. There was amazing news this week that Alex got baptised uh, in Boston. Just, just phenomenal. So exciting. We can, when's he coming over? Two weeks. So we can mob him in a couple of weeks' time and be over here. Um, and that's great news, right? But that's the beginning of a journey. That's saying, God, I'm on board. But the end of the journey is when we get to heaven. That's the real celebration. That's the real party. Amen? When we make it all the way to the end. And the job of the church here is to help us all to make it to the end. So that we're there on the last day. Um, next slide, please. It's hilarious, right? I was looking for a, a grumbly face. <laughs> I was looking this morning about that word grumble. It says that the Jews were, they were whispering amongst themselves to the point where Jesus could hear, right? And they were spreading that message. There was a big crowd, a mixed crowd of people. And I like thinking about the way that Jesus spoke to different groups. First of all, there was a big group of people that came over from the other side of the lake. But in that group were members of the local sort of Jew, Jewish ruling authority, some of the Sanhedrin maybe, or some of the Pharisees. And these were the ones that were starting to, hang on a second, you know, you, you're saying that you came down from heaven. You're saying you're the bread from heaven. And they started to spread in a crowd that uh, discontent. It's like being heckled, right, in a meeting. They started the heckling. We're going to start a vibe of heckling here and that kind of, that peer pressure, that negativity was creeping into it. You know, it's easy to grumble away faith, isn't it? We've all got so much to moan about. I could, I could, I could spend the whole sermon moaning about this morning <laughs> and about stuff that happened at home this morning or on the way here. We could easily do that, right? You could fill up every moment of the day moaning. And it's especially easy to moan about churches, right? It's especially easy, oh, it's a bit cold in here today, or, oh, the, the coffee, my rosemary is coffee too strong, I'm not going to sleep tonight now, that's the end of that one, and, oh, the biscuits, and we can moan, okay, we can become a moaner. And here these guys are moaning, they're trying to spread discontent and negative thoughts, negative thoughts. You can always pick faults. But Jesus jumped all over that straight away. He, and he says, you know, no one can come to me. He was trying to make a point to these guys. 
But this is the truth. This is the, the nub of the matter here. Of Jesus telling them time and time again who he was. And they refusing to accept who Jesus was. It's amazing, isn't it? That, that I, Sometimes I find it hard to understand why people don't want to be Christians. I find it hard to understand that if that's the truth and that there is a heaven at the end of it and that that's what we've got. And actually, if you live like a Christian, you're going to live a full life. You're going to be blessed. You're going to have great relationships. And actually, you don't need to hide away who you are because we all accept that we're all sinners pretty much all of the time. And we're all about forgiving and we're all about growing and we're all about changing ourselves to become more like Christ. I don't understand why everybody wouldn't want that. I find it really hard to understand why people wouldn't want that. And people just have all these reasons not to believe. And actually, it can become quite nasty, can't it? If people like, don't agree with the truth, they can become quite nasty. If you look at me and my life, there's always going to be reasons not to follow Jesus. But next slide, please. It talks here about the, the Father. No one can come to me unless it's the Father who draws them in. You know, and they were going around looking at Jesus and they were seeing these miracles and they were amazing. It's amazing when you see miracles. And it's amazing when you come and everyone you know, is really kind and loving to you or whatever, those things. It's amazing when you come to a church, but it's the Father that draws you in. And until you start looking into the scripture, until you start reading and looking at that with a different kind of a heart, it's only then that you're going to start to be drawn in, drawn into Christianity. Talk about a cord of three strands, you know. We're talking that we're reading a great marriage book at the moment. But God's got to be at the centre of our relationship. You know, we've got to work out how to make that happen. Sometimes we can be living a life and God's over here and we're here. Okay, but we've got to somehow bind it all together so that God is infused in every part of our lives. Amen? So... Jesus made it super clear here to them at the end that he was greater than Moses. And that was one of the things that rattled them. Because um, it was easy for the, the Jewish people to venerate Moses. And they did it with all the prophets, right? In fact, it says they, they killed all the prophets and then built memorials to them afterwards. And we see that even in, in today, you know. I mean, you should see the Catholic Church and these wonderful churches with all these bones of the saints and things in them. But those were all people who were persecuted mostly and murdered and killed because of their faith. And yet now we've got these wonderful mausoleums. And, oh, you know, it kind of shocked me um, in a sense that uh, maybe it's not a fair comparison. But um, within a day of the roof burning off Notre Dame, they had a pledge of nearly a billion pounds yeah. to repair it within one day because the roof burned down. No one was killed. And then you think about Grenfell, which happened a year before, when um, I can't remember how many people were, 70, 80 people burned to death. And they still only got five million pounds and only 250,000 of that has made its way to the families so far. And just what is going on with the world that we live in? Huh? What is going on with our priorities? So, so wrong sometimes. So Jesus made it super clear that he was greater than Moses. But more than that, he was alluding towards the cross. So let's go to the next slide. We'll read the rest of this passage. Bread forever. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man 
and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them, just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. That is the bread. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, Whoa, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what did you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you want to leave too? Do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Amen. Next slide, please. So why, why do you think this was a hard teaching? Why do you think the disciples couldn't cope with this? Why do you think it was a hard teaching? I think we're taking the, um, what he was saying much more literally. We're taking it literally because he said he was the bread of life. And they were looking, you bread of life, how can we eat you? Yeah. And they just thought that, that. I think if they had asked more questions, probably have got more answer. Amen. So they just took the message literally and that was it. I think that's the case. I think they were taking things very, very literally and when Jesus started talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they really struggled with that. They really struggled with that. I think as well, um, because the Pharisees had already started their little dissent in the group and they were the religious authorities, some people were probably thinking, well, Jesus is claiming to be greater than Moses and I think there was an element of struggle with that as well. Because Jesus was talking about the fulfilment here of a lot of different things. A lot of different things. They didn't see the symbolism or what was truly meant. You see, the reality, the reality is Jesus. Everything else is just a, it's just a sign along the way. And it's just a great study. I was looking at this this morning. I slipped in this extra slide. Um, this is the, the, the bread of the altar. Um, I don't remember the, the proper name for it now, but it's um, this is the bread that is always in the temple. Always in the temple, they had twelve loaves of bread stacked on the on the golden table next to the altar, and the only people that the bread of the presence, the only people that could eat it, um, were the, the priests. Were, were to begin with Aaron and his family and the priests. They were the only ones that could eat this bread, but there are always bread in the most holy of holies. Bread is all the way through the scripture. But a lot of that is symbolism, the symbolism or the sign of Christ being the bread of life. And Christ now is talking about the truth 
And this bit is the sign pointing to him. Um, the true manna from heaven, you know, and they were thinking about the manna that came down. Well, that was just whatever God did to feed them in the, in the, in the desert. Probably didn't come from heaven. It made itself somewhere and became manifest itself into real food. But that wasn't the bread from heaven. That was just a sign that one day the true bread from heaven was coming, right? Jesus' body is bread. It had to be eaten uh, like the consecrated bread on the altar. It's a great study in Hebrews, in Hebrews 8 and 9, all talking about that exact thing. One sacrifice for all, a burnt offering, a sin offering. You know, uh, the, the sacrifices that people made in the temple were often shared. Either the priests ate some of it and shared it with God, and some of it was burnt and the smoke went up to heaven. You know, and so they were sharing in a, in a meal with God in a kind of a way. But God got the, 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 the smell, the smoke or whatever. But that's more of a sign of the spiritual truth. You know, when you talk about the spirit being breath or wind. And that's more a sign of the spiritual reality. And the actual bit that we're doing, the worldly bit, it's just a sign along the way. So it's either the priests or they would share it. So you look at sacrifice. All the sacrifices in the old temple were pointing at Jesus. Everything was pointing at Jesus. Every animal sacrifices included a special treatment of the blood. All right? Quite often it says you're not allowed to eat the blood. We don't eat the blood because the blood is the life. And that was all sprinkled on the altar. And it ran into gutters on the altar. And just incredible, incredible stuff. But there's only one passage which really explains that. And it's Leviticus 17.11. And read from the New American Standard Version. It says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Okay? And so the blood was put onto the altar. In a sense, again, that's just a prophecy about Jesus, about what Jesus is going to do. For it is the blood, by reason of the life, that makes atonement. Blood for atonement, um, yikapur is the word, the, the expiating power, blood for atonement, for making amends. The reconciliation of God and man through Jesus Christ. The same word, kapur, um, as a noun in Numbers 35-31, it talks about a ransom. It's the same word as that blood of atonement and ransom. It's a sum of money um, demanded or paid for the release of the captive. And again, it's a, f- a fulfilling prophecy of, of Jesus paying for us the ransom so that we could be free. All of this is pointing at Jesus. You know, the, the key verse I think here in, in this passage is in verse 63, when Jesus said, The Spirit gives life, but the flesh counts for nothing. For the words I've spoken to you, they're full of spirit and life. And Jesus is pointing at the spiritual reality. Not about his eating his real flesh and drinking his real blood. It's about the spiritual reality that Jesus is the way to heaven. Jesus is the one sent by God. Jesus is using the physical realm to teach a spiritual truth. And those who couldn't make the jump from the physical to the spiritual turned their backs and walked away from Jesus. When you think about the temple, um, that going back thousands of years, the temple was the house of God. And in the temple there was a table, and there was a lamp, and, and there was an altar where they burnt the offerings. A bit like a cooker or a barbecue. And it was like a, a house, it was like a home it's set up that way. This is God's home. This is where we're going to meet in this home together. You know, they gave a grain offering as well, which was a gift which eventually made the bread, etc., uh, etc. Et so there's some really interesting stuff around the sacrifices. 
And the fact that only priests could eat the bread, and now Jesus is talking about them, which we do in communion, eating the body, is that we are a royal priesthood. It connects with those scriptures as well. That we are, when you become a Christian, you become a priest. You become like a priest. You're, you're in the most holy of holies. You're in a family with God. And that's what Jesus is talking about in these scriptures. Um, you know, the greatest gift uh, that God ever gave us was his son, Jesus. So that, who, that, so that we could have life and that, so we could be with God forever. Like the priests who ate the grain offering, in Matthew 26, verse 26 and 27, Jesus says, While they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, this is my blood. Of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. <clears throat> Jesus treats his disciples like priests, eating the consecrated bread, the holies of holies. And just as physical food gives us earthly life, Christ's sacrifice on the cross gives us heavenly life. You know, we're all confronted by worldly truths every day, right? Every day I look in the mirror, I, put on, I tried on two shirts this morning and two of them didn't fit. <laughs> Very sad. So I need to like, do something about that, amen? Buy a bigger shirt. And then, you know, but life, life is changing, right? I was even looking at my beard, my wife cut my beard for me. And I kept thinking, it's not the same shape as it was before. What, why is it like, like looking fatter? And I thought, it's not the beard, it's my face. <laughs> it's changing shape. Amen. Too many sweeters in my house. Um, but we're getting older, right? We're changing. Life changes. Those are physical truths. We know that. You know, we know that life is painful. I know a lot of people here, amen, looking for work and it's a, and it's a challenge. We know that. Life is filled with challenges. You know, we're working part-time at the moment. We're trying to make the, the books balance. And life is just stressful sometimes but those are worldly truths but they're not spiritual truths and unless we can accept and live by the spiritual truths we never truly accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour you know in a minute we're going to take communion together and that's about I think that's about accepting our priesthood when you take communion you're accepting that relationship with Jesus Christ accepting that priesthood now, Jesus asked his disciples if they wanted to leave too. And they were free to do so. They were free to do so, but they chose to stay. And Peter's conviction in, in verse 68 um, grew stronger and stronger. In Acts chapter 4, verse 2, when Peter's talking there, it says he, his conviction was, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. You know, that's the spiritual truth that sums up the entire New Testament. And that's the spiritual truth that we're here to take on today. So let's pray, and then we're going to take communion together. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your truth. We thank you, God, that you did so much to draw our attention to the spiritual truths, Lord. Every single day, Father, just as the Bible says, you know, our bodies, they groan and creak. We get older, we get tired. We don't think the same way, Father. Life changes. 
Or even when we're young, Father, we grow up and we have to do exams and we have to get jobs and we have to do all kinds, go to university and clock up debts and start the wheels turning, Father. And Lord, that's the way the world is. That's the way life is, Father. We wear out. You know, and these bodies that we have are just jars of clay that wear out, Father. But Lord, the what's in them, Father, the spiritual truth that you have given us, the thing that, that, that can't be explained, Lord, that we're alive, that we love, that we need each other, Father, that we need a spiritual connection that's not an, a, an accident or a mistake or a random generation made up from atoms, Lord, that suddenly became alive, Lord. It's something that you have poured into us, Father. We thank you for that life that is in us. We thank you for the life that comes from Jesus Christ and his words. That mean we can be with you, Father, the source of all things for all eternity, whatever that means. Lord, even eternity, Father, is a hard concept to grasp, Lord. We live in a finite world with a beginning, a middle and an end. We don't know any different to that, Father. Time one day will end. But Lord, you are outside of even time. And yet you came into this life so that we could know your truth. Thank you, God, for the Bible, for your word. Thank you, Father, for the sacrifice that you made on the cross to fulfill scripture, to pay the ransom, to set us free, and to give us a hope of eternity. Lord, I pray that you move our hearts. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.